Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, everybody. This is Derwin, and I want to thank you so much for coming back to episode three of a novel commentary where we go deep into the futuristic science fiction memoir of my 20s known as Veterans of the Belron War. I was in Iraq from late summer of 2009 to June of 2010, I want to say. And during my time there, I had discovered this little coffee house that the chaplain was running in the base chapel. And it was a little impromptu coffee bar he had set up. And then I'd go to church on Sunday mornings and then get a cup of coffee. And then the building that the chapel was in was built around this really old tree that went up through like two or three floors of the building and you could sit in different spots right and sometimes I would sit in the main room and you'd see the tree go through the ceiling and then sometimes I would sit on the roof just kind of watch the sunrise and sometimes I'd bring my laptop and I'd write some of my earlier stories up there one of the earliest probably one of the most successful pieces I've had is a book called Veterans of the Belron War. Well, there's six books that make up the collected anthology known as the Veterans of the Belron War. And the first one is called The Ballad of Tommy Sampson. And that is because before it was Veterans of the Belron War, it was known as the Distant Travels series. Right. I had put the first one together out of four short stories I wrote, and it was called... Distant Travels, The Ballad of Tommy Sampson. And it kind of was my first attempt at a memoir, I suppose. At the time, I didn't really know how to write a memoir that didn't involve zombies or space aliens. And it's kind of hard to take a 30,000-foot view on your own story when you're not even sure how it ends. You're not even sure how to comprehend it. At 21. Regardless of whatever you're doing, everybody at 21 thinks, I'm just 21. I'm nothing special. And the prologue to The Ballad of Tommy Sampson is Boy Meets Girl in Spaceport. And I had a similar sort of adventure on my way back from the States during mid tour leave. I'm stuck in Ali Al Salim, Kuwait for about a week. And I meet this girl. And we just kind of clicked and, you know, we just kind of sat and talked for a week, right? Like, that was it. Like, we just, 
it was kind of just like this cool new friend that I made, right? And that sparked the opening prologue of the ballad Tommy Sampson because he meets a girl in the spaceport and they just talk. And it's all just two people talking. It's my dinner with Andre. It's exposition, right? It's character development via conversation. The earliest versions of Tommy Sampson at the beginning of the book seem almost sketched out in terms of character development, right? As I look at this from a lens of 10 years later. And when you first begin writing, you always write about yourself. And my early character of Tommy Sampson at the beginning of my journey, my literary career, had a lot of me in him, but also there wasn't a lot of nuance there maybe there was a couple key characteristics he was kind of a he's broke guy strapped to his heels but it was just it was just me I was writing myself but as I look back I wonder if he's so sketched out because my own understanding of myself was so sketched out at the time because who really understands themselves at 21 22 right beyond the the basic functional level perhaps and as an artist, if you're going to create a character or create a piece, so much of yourself goes into it that you can see how much the author perhaps understands themselves by how deep and nuanced the character is, right? And this isn't to say, you know, like, you know, Marvel movies aren't always the most deeply nuanced with characters, right? Not always. You know, the Fast and the Furious movies aren't what you call Scorsese films, right? Because that's not the purpose of those characters. That's the purpose of those stories. But if you're writing the story based on character development and on characters' personalities driving the narrative, right? Their actions driving the narrative. Actions that reflect personality choices, desires, hopes, pains they have. I'm wondering if... You can tell how deep the author, the artist, understands themselves based on how deeply nuanced the character is. Maybe, maybe I'm just hypothesizing there. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm looking back on a real early version of myself, and before I put the work in to understand how I function, you know, because lately I've been going deep inside my own belly button to understand how my personality works. And this was before then, so maybe I'm projecting on that. I don't know. And maybe at the time I didn't quite have the tools in my toolbox to do it. Because when you're younger, when you're a little kid, a lot of life happens to you. You know, your parents tell you what to do, your teachers tell you what to do. And then as I got older, I went into the army, and then the army told me what to do. Right. And while I had agency in my own personal life, the life that I lived, the events that surrounded me, seemed to happen to me at the time. Right. It wouldn't be till much later that I figured out how to control life. Right. Or at least assert the agency that helps you organize your life instead of your life being organized around you and you just trying to understand it and survive it and get by because 
some people spend their whole lives with life happening to them. And I was that guy for probably the first 25 years of my life. And then I kind of slowly realized, oh, I can happen to life. I can organize things in such a way that they make sense in a way that I want them to, right? And looking back on these early Tommy Sampson books, I can see the guy I used to be before I learned how to organize my life, right? When life just kind of happened to me and all around me, right? And I was just kind of a passenger. I was just trying to figure it out and get through it all. And which I was in Iraq at the time, so I felt like there were, there was this enormous event going on around me, and I'm just kind of like Opie from the turnip farm, just kind of hanging out, like trying to make sense of it all. And besides Tommy Sampson, there's another character that runs throughout the piece that serves as sort of as an avatar for myself. In this character, having no relation to the actor uh, who played Ash in the Evil Dead was named Bruce Campbell and Bruce pops up in that first early prologue with Tommy Bruce is an old army buddy of his Bruce was one of the truck drivers that deployed with Tommy to the faraway distant desert planet called Belron and in the prologue they run into each other years after deployment when they're both civilians again and Bruce is married and Bruce has a kid and stuff and but his story deepens as the Battle of Tommy Samson deepens he becomes more of a key player the tragedy of his story kind of reverberates throughout the subsequent books right and I kind of used that tragedy and started to expand on it when I started being more critical of myself and critical of Tommy Sampson at the same time. Right around the time I wrote book three called Words Have a Price, uh, Bruce isn't in that one, but it has to do with people being mad at Tommy Sampson, really. And I used those characters to say all of the things at Tommy Sampson that I felt about myself at the time, right? I mean, it was all hyperbolic and it was exaggerated and whatever, but it was a way to work through all my own insecurities in that way. And in books four, five, and six, Bruce plays a real spotlight, right? Especially book four. Book four is all him. And book four I wrote when I was in college. I was off active duty. I was in the National Guard at the time, but that doesn't play a factor into the book. And it was a way for me to work through a relationship I had had, right? One of those summer fling sort of relationships you have in college. And we've both moved on, and I wish her nothing but the best. And much like myself, at the time, Bruce is going through a adjustment period in his life where the world has radically changed and he's in a new place. For me, the world had radically changed, and I was starting to understand that, you know, oh, this is my life now. I'm not going back to Iraq anytime soon. It was coming home off deployment to the base for a year and then going to college. That's 
change after change after change, and I think I was in kind of a weird jet lag about it at the time, and readjusting isn't always easy when you come home from the military. And in book five, Tommy becomes a central character again, because book four was such a a study of who I was at the moment, right? And then book five kind of contrasted who I was at the time with who I was before when I wrote the first one, right? Like Tommy and Bruce, their personalities, what they value, how they think, you know. They're similar enough to be good friends, but also they're very different and, you know, Bruce thinks that Tommy's kind of a open-hearted, broken-hearted dummy from the turnip farm. And he's not wrong. <laughs> you know, and it's pretty cool being able to look back and say, oh, that's my 20s. And oh, that's me working through different ideas. And and then when I get to book six, uh, I was just trying to wrap up the series. And so... It was pretty cool having Tommy reunite with his father at the end, right? And I got to kind of write my own father into it a little bit. I got to write my dad's chicken coop, and it was great to kind of base the character off of him. I'm really proud of the work on uh, Veterans of the Belleron War. It's a pretty balls-of-the-wall-out-there anthology. I had this alternate ending, I'll tell you about, where... Oh, I don't want to give anything away. Okay. So, book two is Memoir of Iraq in a lot of ways, right? Like, the biggest difference is that we never had an attack on the base that breached security and they got into the hospital, right? That never happened in real life. But in Iraq, I had a really good friend that was kind of a just a really calm, even-keeled even-tempered guy that I'd go to for advice. And in book two of Veterans of the Belleron War, Tommy's friend gets captured, right? And after deployment, Tommy writes a book about deployment, right? Book called The Battle of Tommy Sampson inside the Veterans of the Belleron War, right? It's a little navel-gazing. Anyway, the idea was, was that Tommy wrote his friend off deployment in a book. That friend escaped the book. And then at the end, Tommy and his friend, who had escaped the book, were like looking around and seeing the world kind of go gray and turn into a statue. And Tommy's friend says, every time the book's finished, the world goes to a statue again. And then Tommy says, what are you talking about? And and then Tommy starts to turn the stone, right? Because they're still on a book. Like it was a book inside a book inside a book or something. And that's a pretty cool idea. But I don't think I had the tools in my toolbox pulled off at the time. Although I do have an idea for kind of a side novel there. I haven't really explored it totally but it might be something I do here pretty soon in the future. Once I get some other stuff, I've been meaning to do knocked out of the way. Mm-hmm.
as I was thinking how to expand upon the story itself, the veterans of the Belron War, so much of the two main characters, Tommy and Bruce, were explored already. But there was a little scene in book two where Tommy is getting his in-country briefing and they're describing all of the dangers, the local culture, how the cannibal insurgents religion known as the way of eating had previously corrupted an entire fob and that fob was called fob petraeus so instead of going deeper into tommy and bruce's story i decided to explore the anxieties the sheer terror of a world falling apart around you slowly and then rapidly all at once and without further ado, I'd like to present to you the fall of Fob Petraeus. It was the year 3044. Earth Force was busy occupying one of its former colonies, Belron. Having been estranged for nearly 500 years, the soldiers of Earth and the local nationals were conducting the business of getting to know one another again. Sometimes this was carried out with gestures of peace and goodwill, an exchange of culture of wine, women, and song. Other times this was carried out with holographic camouflage for micro-nuclear bombs planted on the sides of roads. One was just as likely as the other in the Belron War. Many soldiers believed in the mission of Earth Force to protect the miners from the cannibal insurgents of Belron. Others wondered if Earth had gotten clearance to mine Belron, would the first group of bionic power employees been sentenced to consumption? Because in the years of independence from Earth, the people of Belron had found God in another man's liver, complete with a sweet red wine and some crackers. This new religion was known as the Way of Eating. The eating of people was reserved for special occasions, holidays, the disposal of criminals, enemy combatants. During the eating, they would poison their meals, keeping them immobile but alive. It was all very surgical, precise, civilized, with a fork and a knife and a napkin. Before they carried out consumption, they would pray. The way of eating is the truth. The peace of the eating is strength. The pain of the eating is forgiveness. And the love of eating is redemption. This was done out of a sense of love for the consumed. They were sinners, and the only way for them to get into heaven was to be consumed so they could feel the pain of God's forgiveness. The idea of consuming an infidel from Earth, the ultimate sinner, gave the insurgents a holy purpose, a mission from God himself, endless opportunities to bring the infidels to redemption by consumption. So they sent their most beautiful women to forward operating base Petraeus to work at the dining facilities. As the insurgency raged outside of the FOB walls, the cooks of the dining facility were asking questions with no answers, sharing the proof of God's love with the sacred text, and completing conversion 
with the joy of consumption. Not all felt the immediate pain of God's forgiveness. Some were called into missionary work, spreading the good news of the gospel to their companies. Those companies spreading to other battalions across an entire brigade of soldiers. Quietly, until one day, the general's communication tower stopped working. The power to the living quarters was off. Every general screaming in defiance as the immobilization drugs set in. The last thing they heard as the knife and fork made its way inside was the way of eating is the truth. The peace of the eating is strength. The pain of the eating is forgiveness. And the love of the eating is redemption. first initial entry in the veterans of the Belron war that first story of the boy meeting the girl in the spaceport at that point in my life so much of it was spent on the road so much of it was flying from place to place to place and then running into random people whose their lives were full of flights and traveling and moving and deployments and things like that so a lot of that factors into that first story and I was so lucky to have a narrator, the caliber, the quality, the competence of Theo Holland bring the veterans of the Belron War to life. And today is the debut of the veterans of the Belron War on Spotify. And it'll be five hours and 20 minutes long. It's a beast, a monster of an audiobook and all of it is here today. If you subscribe to the 2.99 per month subscription channel, you'll get access to Veterans of the Belron War along with The Forever Sleep along with When They Come For You. And so, I'm going to leave you here today with just a taste of the veterans of the Bell Run War. But don't forget, after that taste is done, subscribe at the $2.99 a month rate and you'll get the full meal of the story itself. And then come back in next week when we do this again. A slice of death and Agent Z and the zombie slayers. And then we'll go real deep into the end of the world next Monday morning at 0700. But until then, I leave you, dear listener, with a preview, a taste of the delicious meal that is the veterans of the Belron War. The robot brought us our burgers. What about you, Doc? What have you been up to? Ever since Earth, I've been working odd jobs here and there on the outer colonies. Mostly, I've been working as an EMT with Interstellar Ambulance even worked a few alien ships that had human crew members on them. Just looking around, I guess. Campbell nodded. Yeah, a lot of people doing that nowadays, he said. We should be looking around for who's responsible for Earth, came from my left at the end of the bar. I rolled my eyes. Didn't you read the news? It was that mining accident, I told the drunk. 
hoping that he would go away. This specific discussion went on and on sometimes, and I didn't want to get caught up in it. But his type never went away, at least not politely. You know what I'm talking about. That wasn't an accident. That was a terrorist, the drunken gentleman to my left said. He turned to me and took a step forward, saying, Yeah, right, a mining accident. That's what they want you to think. It was a secret armada. They were hiding behind the moon, and then they— I was there, I yelled, slamming my drink onto the counter and rattling the bowl of peanuts to my right. I saw what happened. I read the reports coming out on the Internet about the deep core mining and how dangerous it was, but they kept doing it for the cheap electricity. The smart guys kept saying what would happen, but no one cared. And you know what? I was six hours from Earth when the distressed calls came out. There were maybe a hundred ships that got out in time. Everyone else just died when the mantle cracked and flash-fried the atmosphere. So don't go talking about secret terrorist armadas, guy. I was there. We did this to ourselves. 